The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. Good morning, Irvine. You have tuned in. Oh, sorry, it's up. Good morning, Irvine. You have tuned in to Activism for Amateurs uh, with your host, Lauren. Here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, yeah, good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, March 31. Yes, yes, and it's currently 8.01 a.m., just in case you're waking up and you're like, oh, my God, what time is it? I don't know. Well, yeah, that's what it is. So, everybody, just to say that this is a new quarter, spring quarter, for all you student activists listening out there. Um... We're all running around trying to figure out our schedules, figure out how we can get the cheapest books possible, because it always looks like they're just trying to get one publisher in that bookstore, isn't it? That's why the books are so expensive. But, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, try to work it out with other students if you can, get those cheaper books, help yourself out a little bit, get yourself some extra yogurt land maybe after, or pay rent, (laughs) or for gas, because gas is up too. Ah! I know it's a lot to deal with, but we're okay. We're doing all right. And um, with the new quarter, this is also technically a new showtime. No, not really. We're the same showtime, thankfully. So not to confuse anybody out there. But it is new, so I don't know. I'm just playing around with the format a little bit. Uh, As you can tell, we had different intro music for this morning. So um, we'll try it out. But yeah, Blue Scholars... We'll be coming to UCI if I... I think so. I'm really sure. I kind of, like, spaced out because it's like I was on Facebook and something said, Oh, Blue Scholar is going to be here at Irvine for, like, uh... Yeah, I don't know, for some kind of performance. But I don't know. I freaked out. I freaked out. And then I had to turn my computer off because it was, like, hyperventilating at the moment. But apparently a lot of people play Blue Scholars here on KUCI, which is awesome because I didn't even... I didn't even really know that until I started listening to all the hip-hop shows, but we got a great quarter, great new quarter. Uh, a lot of hip-hop shows. Uh, check the schedule on KUCI.org, and uh, most likely you will be hearing some Blue Scholars and some other awesome hip-hop artists that you don't hear on our mainstream radio. So, that's always exciting. Yay! All right, so um, we will uh, start to open with the interview. Um uh, we won't do our bit, Activism, Fact, or Fiction, for today because uh, we actually have a lot to cover with this interview. And um, the reason I'm so, like, psyched about it and so excited about it is because we will be interviewing um, this uh, young activist. Um, she's currently in Seattle right now, um, Seattle, Washington. But she had recently come back from Japan, not exactly when the tsunami hit, but... Um, a little bit before that time, a um, couple months before that time, but uh, her dad was actually there um, when the tsunami in Japan hit. So um, that'll be interesting. So she's going to talk to us about that. But um, also I wanted to highlight her work with um, Activism for Animals. So that is the theme for the show, Activism for Animals, and the highlights on the tsunami in Japan with teen activist Elora West. 
So, uh, yeah, just to give you some quick background, Alora West is an activist who has worked with the SSCS Cove Guardians recently in Japan to advocate and um, work towards saving the dolphins who are being mass murdered through the use of drive hunting in Japan. And um, I don't know if a lot of people know about that, but uh, there was uh, there was this famous documentary or movie on it called The Cove uh, where they were highlight- highlighting all these dolphins being killed. But um, anyway, Alora has recently... Oh, Alora has returned from Japan um, a few months before the tsunami hit the um, Japanese coast, and um, we will hear about her amazing stories as a teenage activist and all of that. So, yeah, good stuff. So, um, yeah, let me get her on. We are having a Skype call with Alora this morning, so let's do that right now. Hello? Hello? Hey, Laura. Hi. Yay, good morning. We can hear you. You are currently on the air here in Irvine, California. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, you're in Seattle, Washington, right? Yeah. Right now? Okay, cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) Cool. So do you want to give a quick introduction, a quick self-introduction, just anything you wanted to add on for our um, Irvine listeners to hear? Um, Sure. Um, I'm a junior. Yeah, I'm a junior in high school, um, and... I homeschool, but I also attend an alternative school so that I can part of the Running Start system. So I'm also taking college classes, um, and I'm a 17 year old activist. And you can read all my um, stuff on aloramalama.wordpress.com. Yay! <laughs> awesome, awesome. See, yeah. see everybody. This isn't. This is not amateur activism. Okay, I'm gonna tell you. This show is activism for amateurs, but we have. A cool <laughs> activist with us right now, and she's only 17. She hasn't even, like, graduated high school yet. So <laughs> she she is rolling with her pre-diploma, which is just the diploma flo- floating around the air until you're, like, finally done with your classes, and you're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> finally, out to the real world. And then you go to college, and when you're in college, you're like, man, I have to wait four years before I go out into the real world. <laughs> But, yeah, thanks, Laura, for coming on to talk to us. Um, I don't know if any of the um, activist listeners out there, uh, if you guys remember, two weeks ago I tried to get Laura on the air, but then we had problems with her calling into the station. So we're Skyping it, baby. Skyping it. <laughs> like beasts. All right, so we're going to get started with the interview, everybody, for your listening and hearing pleasure. And um, also, so uh, anybody uh, listening um, in on the air, uh, we will be able, we might be able to take questions depending on the time, um, but preferably we could do that. So we will try to take questions. Um, if you hear something interesting or have any questions, feel free to call in. If you want to call in and banter, uh, we'll have to do that for another show, <laughs> a different show, not this show, because uh, I don't have time. I don't have time to hear that. But whatever, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever, we're rolling. Okay, so, um, and one more thing, if you are not able to, or if you know someone who is like, oh no, I can't hear because I'm on the Irvine area, well, do not fret, pourquoi, we are streaming on the internet at KUCI.org. Just click on the little Listen Now icon on the upper right-hand corner, and you can listen to that. Also, um, if you can connect to your uh, radio flag, or uh, KUCI is trying to um, team up with Radio Flag, uh, there should be an app on your iPhone, and Radio Flag is one of the best ways to connect to KUCI to hear your favorite show, Activism for Amateurs. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, uh, and 
we will begin the interview. So, um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, Alora, um, do you consider yourself to be, uh, well, because um, when I was giving your introduction, we were talking about your work um, with trying to help save the dolphins and stuff, you know? So, um, do you consider yourself to be an animal activist then, or is it more like a conservationist? Like, what, like, uh, how do you label yourself in the world of activism? Um, oh, that's tough, because, um, I'm definitely more driven to help animals, because I feel like they don't really have a voice to speak for themselves, um, but I'm also very driven to kind of environmental, um, safety and everything, like keeping pollution out of the water and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of a conservationist, I just, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't really know, I, I'm a lot of different things, I'd say just kind of an activist in general, I mean, I'm kind of that, I was always that kid that, like, would pick on other people who were littering, like, hey, this is everyone's home, please keep it clean, <laughs> So. <laughs> that's so cool that's so cool you would you would fit in perfectly in um okay just because i'm filipino and i just know this you'd fit in perfectly in palawan palawan is this like pro is like this province in the philippines super super beautiful because they have trash cans like literally like every 10 feet of the streets in palawan it's crazy and then if you find someone who litters and you can you could potentially turn them in and get some money for it so nice. that those are the incentives for <laughs> That's for what I hear, anyway. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, let's bring that to the U.S. Why not? But no, you know how many? Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know how many people get in um, are are arrested just for no reason now, and then for them to be arrested on I don't know. Yeah, arrested for littering. I I don't think that'll go down here in the U.S. But anyway, yeah. So that's cool. So activists in general works out for me. All right, and then um, when did you when did you first get involved with um, this, uh, you know, with the issues that you try to advocate for, like with the environment and to help animals and stuff like that? Um, yeah, when when did that first happen for you? Um, well, my dad worked ever since, I mean, like, I knew my dad when I was born. <laughs> um, Good stuff. <laughs> he, he worked with the EPA. And that's the Environmental Protection Agency. And so for 20 years, she was putting polluters in jail. So um, when I came to kind of understand what it was and did for a living, you know, he was always kind of giving my sister and I this message of, like, you know, it's really important to keep the environment clean. It's really important to treat animals well. And so that was just buzzing in our ears, like, throughout our entire childhood. Sorry, like, coughing. It's okay. (laughs) Childhood. And, um... Yeah, so that's kind of where it started, and then, um, I don't know if anybody listening has ever, I don't know if it played down there, um, the show Animal Cops on Animal Planet? Some have probably seen it, or some probably, probably. do watch it, yeah. Animal you know, Planet's, yeah, I yeah. I don't think I have it anymore, I haven't looked, um, but, uh, my sister and I used to watch that all the time when we were little, and we, like, applaud, I mean, we, we would cheer whenever the bad guys get put in jail and stuff, <laughs> So that was another thing. Um, and then, yeah, and then um, once I started to kind of understand uh, my dad's connection with Sea Shepherd, um, Paul used to come and, like, stay at our house when he was in town, but I had no idea who he was, and Paul's the founder of Sea Shepherd. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, and so, you know, I always had all of from the EPA and from Sea Shepherd and other kind of conservation organizations 
that would like crash here overnight if they were in town. So all of their messages kept buzzing into my ear like constantly because you know we were here often. Um, but I had no idea who these people were. <laughs> but um, once I kind of got old enough to understand what was going on, um, yeah, I was definitely driven to helping animals the most, um, especially the oceans because they need our help. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. More than anything else does. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of started ever since I really understood, you know, what was going on. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's really great. Um, so, it, so a lot of it also had to do because of just the exposure at home, um, yeah, with your dad and everything. I was at home and then just kind of taking that out into the, you know, the quote unquote real world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's cool. I totally get it. Because you and I are both activist babies. Activist yeah. babies are the kids who grow up um, around activism, pretty much, because of what their parents are involved in. So then by the time we get to school, it's like, boom, explosion. You didn't see us coming. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, how did this happen? I'm like, I don't even know. I was just, I was just growing up with my dad. Going to all these rallies in LA for funsies, you know, for funsies, meeting people. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works out. It's good. It's good. I feel, I feel, I feel really happy that I have that in my background because it, it just makes it a lot easier too. Um, but anyway, all right. So back to animal activism. So um, uh, let's see. So then, um, when did you start? Um, caring more about, you know, um, these um, Taiji dolphins, and um, Taiji is also, um, is a town um, in Japan, um, off the, is it the Ki Peninsula, or Kai, how do you pronounce? Um, it's Ki, but um, it's, it's in Wakayama Prefecture, um, around the coast, it's, um, it's kind of nestled in this little, uh, um, almost all kind of like a cove-like shaped um, part of the island, oh, okay. um, yeah. All right, yeah, there's probably a term for that, but I forgot it because I was, like, sixth-grade geography. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so then, um, yeah, so when did uh, focusing primarily on dolphins start for you? Or, or like, when did you, when, did you, when did you start getting involved with Sea Shepherd? Um, I started getting involved in Sea Shepherd once um, I kind of understood the work they were doing. I was pretty, I was, I mean, not pretty little, but I was literal, little, littler than I am now. Uh-huh. Younger. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't talk to you, apparently. Um, so probably about, like, 10 or 11, I started kind of, you know, really grasping how much our oceans needed our help. And so, you know, we on recycling and everything, there's a all plastic in the water. Um, and I kind of got involved with Sea Shepherd, like, actually doing things with them Probably about two years ago when um, I would kind of help my dad um, with, like, a little events and things in the area and stuff. Because he retired from the EPA to join the crew. Uh-huh. And um, so I was kind of, like, so I would go around to, like, dive shows and stuff and help him out and things, talking about the organization. Um, and then, like, a year ago, I went to New York and I stayed a couple days on the ship that was docked, the Steve Irwin that was docked there, um, and kind of helped them out getting ready for the uh, Blue Rage campaign, which was fighting the Mediterranean uh, tuna poachers. Um, so I've just kind of been doing as much as I could at, like, 16 and now 17, because you have to be 18 to be crew. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so yeah. sort of breaking the rules, but not really, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, once, uh, 
this once the Cove Guardian campaign kind of came about, which was about gosh, six months ago. I'm sorry, I'm just so surreal to me. Um, uh, about six months ago, yeah, um, I, it was a chance for me to kind of get my feet wet in this type of lifestyle. Um, in, in, well, it's not a safe environment, but it was an environment where if he needed to put me on a plane and send me home, he could. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we weren't out in Antarctica. <laughs> you went to Antarctica? No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Because I'm just keen to go there. So, like, the ah. in, in, um, in Taiji, Japan, then, um, you know, there was a chance for me to be able to get away if my dad felt like it was super unsafe. Right, right. So I guess you could say, like, I kind of started campaigning with them, like, six months ago. Oh, okay, cool, cool. And yeah. then, and then, um, so, so they started their work in Japan. Is it primarily uh, for the Taiji Dolphins? Um, yeah, it's all about, um, the poaching of marine cetaceans. Um, they, they fight the Japanese whalers in, um, legal Japanese whalers in, um, the Antarctic Ocean. Uh-huh. There's a whale sanctuary down there. Um, anyone who's seen Whale Wars would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so now they're kind of targeting what um, was showcased in the uh, Academy Award-winning film, The Cove, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, a dolphin's just a small whale, and so it's equally as important to us. And, you know, the, the, Japan is definitely not the only country. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, it's in Peru. Also, right? Okay. Peru and oh, yeah. Solomon yeah. Islands. Even yeah, some parts of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Okay, so. Oh, yeah, so kind of been targeted for, like, attacking the Japanese people, but, you know, you got to start somewhere, and that's definitely, like, not what this is about at all. It just happens to be that Japan is the most, adamant about killing them i don't know what the right word would be but um they definitely kill the most all right yeah like like numbers wise and yeah exactly. that stuff yeah yeah no no yeah yeah no it's okay it's okay if you don't know that. I, don't, I, I don't really know the word about it they just they killed the most dolphins out of the others well, in denmark i think <laughs> and what I think it's Denmark. I forget. Oh, it's Denmark that does it. All right. Um, okay. So when and and you were in Japan, correct? Yes. So uh, when did you arrive in Japan exactly? Like, um, I arrived September eleventh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, it was kind of crazy. I actually had three days' notice before I was on the plane. Three days note. Oh, really? So they're just like, okay, we're gonna go to Japan, <laughs> like now. Yeah, well, pack your things. Dad had six days. Paul called him up and said, "I need you to go to Taiji and make it work." And that was the only instructions that he had. Uh huh. And so um, he was kind of like, "Well, okay, give me six days and I'll be there because he needed time to get ready to go." And about four days before he left, he pulled my mom aside apparently and was like, "What do you think about me bringing Aurora?" And they were both super supportive of it because, um, well, yeah, just because, you know, it's, I, ever since I saw the cove, I really wanted to do something to help dolphins because they're one of my favorite animals. And so, you know, they were really supportive of the idea and they just was kind of figuring everything out and making sure that it was actually like a safe scenario to bring me into. Um, and so we kind of talked for a couple hours about it. And then the next day I went to the school counselor and said, this is what I want to do. She said, well, if you make it your senior project, you can do this. And I was like, well, I can make 
is your project. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better one. Yeah, no, that's and, really cool. Um, yeah, and so two days later, I was packed and on a plane. <laughs> nice. That sounds, yeah. that sounds like a lot of fun. Very spontaneous, very for the cause. I love it. All right, and then um, so uh, as part of this organization, you and your dad, what type of um, research did the group do? Like what type of field work um, did they do exactly? Was it like research or was it more of like, uh, I don't know, trying to stop the fishermen from catching the dolphins? Like how exactly did your group go about um, working there? Well, we, as much as we wanted to like cut their nets and sink their boats, <laughs> um, and we do know how to do that. <laughs> We couldn't because um, Paul made a promise with the Japanese government that we would not break any Japanese laws. Okay. And that's one of the reasons we were allowed to stay there for six months. Uh-huh. Um, my dad and I were there for three, and then someone else took over. But uh, it was so it wasn't really trying to stop them from hunting because there really wasn't any legal way we could do that. But um, what we were doing, and like I kind of said before, there really wasn't any instruction. It was kind of like go there and make it work. And so, um, over a course of like a month, I want to say, um, it was nothing but documenting and just putting things out in the media constantly because, um, Paul was wondering what would happen if there was a presence there like every single day throughout the six months that this goes on every year. And so, um, when we arrived there, all the fishermen and all the police and like Coast Guard and all the stuff that showed up. Yeah, yeah. There was like a hundred plus people there. Like wow. just with these, like the three of us that were there at first. Um, they were like, you know, well, how long are you here? And we pull out our passports and say, three months. We have 90 days. And they always laughed and were like, no, you're not going to be here three months. And we're like, well, more people are coming. And they're like, no, they're not. And they just kind of laughed in our face. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they believe this now because over the course of six months, oh, God, how many people came? 42 people from, uh, I don't remember how many countries. It was some ridiculous number. <laughs> um came to kind of stand there and say, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was really, really cool. But um, what we were doing was just const- every single day we were at the pool documenting whatever it was that was happening um, and putting it out there on the Internet so that, you know, the people who were following it or the people who had, like, just seen the movie and were interested in what was going on, you know, kind of had this thrown in their face every single day. And that eventually drove about... I don't want to say thousands because I, I, I really still don't believe I had the following on my blog that I did. <laughs> but um, at least a couple hundred people to call the Japanese embassies in their area. And I'm talking like all over the world. Um, they called them every time the hunter boats went out to um, like have dolphins and said, look, this is what's going on. I'm just making you aware that this is what's happening in Taiji this morning. And mm-hmm. it eventually just drove the government absolutely nuts because <laughs> it was six months of, like, almost every day. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's... Telling them. Yeah. So, that's um, amazing. Yeah, it was kind of poking at the government and, you know, and, of course, a little bit of kind of making the fishermen as miserable as we could <laughs> because <laughs> we wanted them to hate their jobs. Um, so, yeah, we kind you know, I mean, they hate having their picture taken, so, like, we come up and take pictures in their face and stuff, but, you know, nothing ever got aggressive or anything, so it was all good. <laughs> That's good to know. Or maybe all the people who were calling were, like, trying to, like, strike up these, like, 30-minute conversations, and <laughs> by that time, the day's pretty much over, because, you know. <laughs> like, some really hard, like, you know, really big, deep debates, too. Uh-huh. It was really nice listening to all the stories, because, like, yeah, it was just really cool. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. So, uh, 
So just just to kind of talk more about the issue in hand, um, uh, yeah, how exactly are the dolphins hunted um, in Japan? Like, because uh, um, you know, when I'm researching about this, they keep throwing out the term uh, drive hunting. What exactly is drive hunting? Um, in your um, the way you could describe it, and did you see this going on in Japan while you were there? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, it's one of the most horrific things I think I've ever seen. Um, no, actually, probably the most because you know I'm only seventeen. <laughs> but um, it it what happens is um, it's in the town of Taiji. I know that they do this in other um, small towns in Japan that also hunt purposes and things, but um, I can't really speak for those. But um, they have twelve boats that they own for um, kind of fishing purposes, but during the six months they're um, turned into dolphin driving boats. And um, what they do is um, they have these, like, the long metal poles that hang off the sides of their boats, and at the end they're kind of rounded, like, almost like a bell-shaped form. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they do is they go out and they drive around the coast pretty far out, a couple miles, um, and they search for breaking water, which is signs of dolphins crossing. Um, And the reason that they're over there is because for, like, hundreds and thousands and millions probably of years, um, dolphins have been using this, like, strip of water as a migration um, route. So they don't really know what it is that they're going into because everyone's like, well, dolphins are so smart. Shouldn't they just swim away? But what happens is dolphins see a sound. And mm-hmm. so um, the boats kind of line up and form like a, almost like a crescent moon around them. And they stick their poles in the water, and with a giant hammer, they bang the top of them. And this creates this wall of sound, and the dolphins are way too afraid to um, swim towards it and under the boats in the way to see because, you know, their vision's all knocked off and, you know, oh, kind of yeah. funky. And, um, and it's super loud for them. I mean, like, it's super loud if you're listening to it on land. I can't even imagine what it would be like when, like, that's your main sense mm-hmm. and you're underwater. Um, <laughs> so they're absolutely terrified. And they drive them for, I mean, who knows how far. Like, I, we never really could figure out how far out to see they actually did go because sometimes they would go around areas where we couldn't see them anymore. But, um... Once they get to the harbor, which I would imagine is a few miles, um, the dolphins are completely freaked out by now. Like, you know, babies have probably been left behind and everything because they couldn't keep up. I've seen so many mothers get ripped away from their like their infant um, babies because they couldn't keep up, or the or the poachers took them away from them and just horrible things. And um, so, you know, they're flipping all around, they're freaking out, they're jumping onto rocks. Some of them even bled themselves to death because they got cut up on some rocks. Once. Oh, wow. Just, yeah. That's um, crazy. Yeah, oh, just, just, just to clarify, um, if anyone just jumped in and started tuning in, she's, uh, to Activin for Amateurs on KCI, she's talking about dolphins, okay? So if you're hearing mothers and being ripped away from their infants... Oh, yeah. yeah th- these are dolphins. You know, so, yeah, just, just to clarify, you know, uh, just to get that visual image there. <laughs> We're talking about the dolphins in Japan, but um, okay, so uh, yeah, so everyone, that's oh, and then so then they throw the dolphins, um, they get them all scared and everything, and then they use their nets, yeah, to catch well, them. Skiffs come from the harbor, which is pretty close by, and the way the cove is shaped, once you get to like kind of the opening of their town harbor, 
um, all the rocks underwater fill, form this perfect funnel into the killing grove. So they just kind of outline these rocks a little bit, and the dolphins have nowhere to go because the sound's bouncing off of everything except for into this killing cove. And so once they get driven into there, um, some skiffs come with, like, these giant nets, and, you know, these big, heavy guys, like, jump, drop them into the water, and the nets are, like, you know, water level, and you'd think that they'd be able to swim over them, but dolphins don't know from captivity. So it's, completely, it's a completely foreign idea to them to have to kind of slide over something. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, their, you know, terrible fate awaits them eventually. They're, they're going to go to um, swim dolphin programs or um, they're going to be sushi. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a really dark um, practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then some yeah. of the, and then a lot of these dolphins are, are also for entertainment purposes, right? Like, uh, yeah, like the swim and dolphin programs. I, I can't technically name organizations, but things, um, you know, where people go and watch dolphins put on shows and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and just from, just from what you know with the Sea Shepherds, um, are some of these dolphins, um, also, uh, taken here? Like, to the U.S.? And oh, some... Every, like, every, um, yeah, every aquarium or, yeah, swim a dolphin program that has dolphins comes from something like that mm. where you know they're being driven in they're terrified you know they've been ripped away from their families and a lot of people don't think about this kind of thing when they go and buy a ticket you know they think you know oh maybe they've been rescued or it just doesn't even enter their consciousness yeah yeah um, that these dolphins have been taken away from their home because people really don't know how self-aware and just how intelligent these creatures are um and the ones that do you know who, who um are kind of like us who are trying to stop this from happening. But, you know, they say that the dolphin entertainment industry is um, educational, but still people are so completely unaware about these, you know, beings. Um, Thomas White once wrote a book um, called In Defense of Dolphins, and he describes them as non-human persons. And um, it's because they have so many um, uh, traits like humans do, mm-hmm. like personality and just kind of... Um, interaction and everything um and you know so if these really were educational people would see what was you know happening right in front of them and you know i don't think that people would be as supportive as they are of it but you know it's just kind of ignorance is bliss i guess um <laughs> yeah people yeah don't really think about what happened and how did they get there and why are they here you know did they have a family yeah they did yeah <laughs> Sorry, just rec- yeah. Um, if if the sound is kind of off, there, everybody. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, hold on a second. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, if the sorry. yeah, because I think there's like an echo <laughs> going on because um yeah, if anyone is listening on the air and the sound is kind of off, it's because we're skyping, we're kind of skyping the call. So yeah, sorry if there's an echo, but um anyway. So, yeah, uh, let's see. So then, um, so that's what happens to these dolphins after they're hunted. Um, they get put into the dolphin entertainment industry or they're even used, um, as food, right? As consumer, consumer products, like for meat and things like that. Yeah, people, um, yeah. All right. Okay. And then, um, yeah. And, and just from, just from what your organization, um, might or might know, like, uh, are there, 
is it true that there are actual like a health defects for people that consume a lot of dolphin meat? Um. Yeah, uh, actually, anything that comes from the ocean, I wouldn't eat anymore if I were you. Um, everything, because of all the PCBs and just all of the pollution that gets dumped into the water nowadays, um, you know, the smallest of organisms pick that up, and it just goes up the food chain over a matter of time. So, you know, some of people's favorite things to eat, like, you know, tuna or salmon, are highly contaminated with mercury. And, you know, there could be long-term effects of mercury poisoning. Um, mm-hmm. And especially dolphin and whale meat, because they're, you know, yeah, they're at the top of the food chain, um, you know, them and shark. And, um, yeah, so, you know, they're when they're going to Antarctica and they're capturing all these whales, and then when they're, you know, all along the coast of Japan, they're harvesting porpoises and harvesting bottlenose dolphins and rizzo dolphins and everything that they can get their hands on, um, they're doing nothing but poisoning their country. Um, you know, Japan's main source of food is seafood, and unfortunately, because of our environment right now, um, they're, they're, I mean, they're poisoning themselves, they're poisoning their country, they're poisoning the children, their future generations. Um, yeah, I, I, I could go on and on about mercury poisoning, but um, I think that the best thing for people to do would be to watch the movie The Cove, because... He talks about that a lot. Um, mm. And I swear, The Cove is not like this, like, hour and a half long PETA movie. <laughs> it's not all blood, I promise. Oh, all right, all right, cool. Just as a disclaimer for anybody <laughs> out there. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to see dolphins get killed. I'm like, no, really, it's like the last two minutes of the film. The rest of it has, like, nothing to do with, you know, the bloody shots. <laughs> all right, cool, good to know. <laughs> all right, so, um, yeah, let's see. Uh, I think we're just... I think we're going to take a musical break soon. Um, Yeah, and then um, after that, we'll start talking a little bit more about your dad's experiences with the tsunami and um, what happened there. But um, before we break, uh, I just had... uh, Yeah, we'll just end with one more question. Um, So... Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I kind of think that this question is kind of interesting. Um, uh, there's been much speculation against the advocacy for, you know, animals in general. Um, a lot of people uh, say, uh, a lot of people are kind of just like, yeah, okay, whatever, with um, the idea that uh, animal activists are trying to prevent certain species and certain animals from becoming ex- um, endangered and, um, you know, ultimately extinct. And... Uh, these skept- you know, there are animal activist skeptics out there who say that, well, they're going to get endangered anyway, eventually. Humans are going to be extinct, you know, eventually. So, um, yeah, have you ever confronted, like, anybody who just completely, like, didn't understand um, the purpose for um, advocating for animals and um, don't really have, like, the knowledge of the type of animal cruelty that goes on in, um, in the world? Uh, like, what would you say to somebody who kind of confronted you with that? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, ever since, I mean, you're an activist too, I mean, when pe- there's always going to be someone who disagrees with you, and because our campaign and our journey was so public, you know, there were a lot of people who disagreed with what was going on, and exactly what you're saying, it's, it's you know, well, you know, they're just going to come extinct anyway, or they just aren't aware, and they don't want to know, like, they don't go and do the research, because they just don't care, or, you know, they just, you know... Yeah, ignorance bliss, like I said a couple of minutes ago. Um, right, right. And so, I I don't know, I'm like, like, remember a specific conversation I've ever had with somebody, but I mean, 
I've definitely lost a few friends since I've come back because of this because they just didn't get it. And it's really hard to, um, you know, stay close to someone who just doesn't understand what it is that you're doing. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's a hard road. And, I mean, I would definitely, I don't know what I would say to someone. I mean, it always just kind of bowls off the tongue when someone brings that up to me. Um, but my thing is kind of like, you know, well, if they're going to become extinct anyway, why don't you let nature run its course? Why do we have to be the ones that drive them here? There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good point to make. Why why must there be, be this mass killing of all these of all the yeah. animals? Right. Yeah. For sure. Really, I'm definitely against the attitude that, you know, man is I mean, obviously we're the more dominant species, but you know, we don't have to be the most destructive ones. It's just in our nature and, and I yeah, and so, you know, a lot of people, you know, think I'm like I don't know. I guess I don't really know where I'm going with this. <laughs> all right, it's okay. It's all right. And with that, um, everyone listening, we will have to take a um, musical break just for a little bit because, uh, yeah, I need to get some water. But, yeah, so uh, listen to this. Uh, again, this is Blue Scholars. Why? Because I like them. That's why. Um, and I know they play Blue Scholars a lot in Seattle, too. They're pretty They're pretty popular up there. But, um, yeah, uh, here is uh, Blue Scholars again with um, Blue School. And um, we will be back um, with Activism for Amateurs here on KUCI 88.9. All right. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm not able to get the wireless on um, onto my laptop. That's where we were uh, doing the Skype call with Alora. But, um, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. No worries. We're okay. All right. So, um, yeah, so uh, that was uh, Blue Scholars again um, in our musical break. Um, so we'll just we'll just continue a little bit uh, with some of the things that um, that um, Alora was talking about. So she was talking about her um, advocacy for animals, uh, uh, working with the Sea Shepherds, uh, trying to basically get more awareness out there about what's happening with these dolphins in um, areas like Japan. And um, she was in Japan um, advocating for that. So, um, yeah, I uh, sincerely apologize uh, for the uh, bad Internet connection we uh, lost. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of difficult if you're Skyping a call. But, um, yeah, but definitely we will um, uh, try to get Alora back um, another time um, when we talk about uh, so we could talk more about the events um, that were happening in the tsunami. But um, just as a recap of what's going on um, in Japan right now, uh, over 11,000 people have died due to the earthquake and due to the tsunami um, in Japan. So that is definitely a high toll. But, um, yeah, it's all over the news, it's all over the media, and a lot of people are generally very aware of what is going on, which is really good because there is a lot of uh, aid that they're trying to do, um, that they're trying to send for Japan. Also here um, on the UCI campus alone, um, uh, we have uh, bake sales and things going on out on Ring Road, so definitely go and check that out. If you donate something like even a dollar, you can get yourself a brownie. Um, I donated a little bit yesterday. Uh, brownies are pretty good. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, you could definitely go out and, and check that out. They're also selling, um, they also have shirts there, too. So, um, and all the donations and the proceeds from the shirts go towards the fund that they're sending um, to Japan. But, um, yeah, so, let's see. Another thing 
that that's going on. It, it's interesting because there are actually earthquakes uh, that are going on like all the time in Japan now. You just don't really hear about it because of that really big 9.0 earthquake. But there are still like earthquakes that are uh, 6.0, um, maybe a little a uh, little higher than that, just a little bit. But um, those earthquakes are still happening in Japan. So um, yeah, I think the one that the most recent one that I know of that hit was um, probably. I would say almost a day ago. That was the last one that um, hit an area in Japan. So it's still going on. So um, a lot of people don't know about that. Um, some of you do, and if you do, that's great. But um, yeah, so it, it makes it kind of hard because with all these aftershocks, it's it's much harder to kind of keep trying to re- even rebuild that infrastructure. And even right now, there's no rebuilding because they're just still trying to find people who are missing, if anything, and um, still trying to get resources out there to the people that need it, um, whether it be food, water, um, just trying to give them um, proper shelter and health care and what have you. I mean, all the all the other uh, uh, attempts to help uh, the Japanese get relief from this um, horrible natural disaster that is hit. But, um, yeah, uh, on the news, a lot of the time, even just getting these resources out there to the areas that um, it's needed is very difficult um, because, like, uh, there isn't enough... um, There isn't enough uh, resources to even get, like, the transportation to to um, move everything over there to um, mostly the places where, um, you know, the people were just hit most critically. So uh, that is becoming an issue as well. And probably the most issue, I mean, the the scariest issue that a lot of people are thinking about and talking about now is the amount of radiation that is um, that is there in Japan because of because of these attacks. So, um, yeah, it's really scary. And then a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, and then that radiation, like, eventually is going to get over here, um, you know, with the Pacific Ocean and everything, is going to get over here to the U.S. But, I mean, really, guys, really, come on. Japan got hit more. So, um, yeah, but it is, but it is, um, but there is um, radiation um, out there because of what happened in Japan. But, you know, there's radiation everywhere. Just, just to let people know, you know, don't freak out completely, like, just because of this attack. You know, you're going to get hit by radiation. We're getting hit by radiation every day. I'm getting hit by radiation as I speak, just not that much. Not to the point that it's, like, critical. I don't know. I just assume, you know. But, um, yeah. But there is there is radiation out everywhere anyway. So, it's okay. Don't, don't you know, don't don't get too freaked out about it. Because <laughs> I'm seeing some people who are getting kind of freaked out, and it's just not good. Uh, there are a lot of other things to worry about. But, um, yeah, definitely, if you can, um, keep trying to keep up that... Um, Keep up the awareness of what's going on um, in Japan. Keep uh, keeping up with the news and educating yourself will um, definitely help out with that as well. And um, yeah, when we come, uh, when we do our next show, um, we're gonna try to do uh, we're gonna try to do the interview with Alora and uh, maybe even get her dad to come in and speak as well because he was the one who was caught in Japan when the tsunami hit. And um, from what she told me, he was actually uh, there was. Uh, a team, him and his team actually got footage from the tsunami, so a lot of footage that you might see on the radio. I know um, there was a special on Nova last that was shown last night, um, PBS or KCT or whatever, but um, yeah, there was a special on Nova that highlighted uh, what happened with the tsunami, and a lot of that footage was actually taken from Alora's dad's team that was out there, and um, Alora's dad was the driver. So um, yeah, if you go to her blog site, which is um, Elora. 
um, let's see, it's E-L-O-R-A-M-A-L-A-M-A.wordpress.com, um, Eloramalama.wordpress.com. Um, you can see all the updated footage uh, from what happened um, in the tsunami um, directly from um, the team that her dad is in, and a lot of that footage has been put into the news and things like that. So um, you can see the footage there. But, um, yeah, it's really scary stuff. Um, in the footage that you see, you see this. there's this tree. The water level just keeps rising higher and higher. And then um, when the cameraman turns around, you can see that all the houses that weren't flooded like a couple of minutes ago were already, you know, just flooded. And then, um, yeah, as the level kept rising and then, uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people saw the video, other videos on YouTube with the, they created these uh, barricades, um, in one part of Japan that they were trying to um, prevent the tsunami from um, creating that collateral damage. But um, from what happened, because of the earthquake, um, it also kind of like made the uh, floor go lower and everything. So the water, it just, it just became like a pool to fill. So when the water started filling up, filling up, then it went over the barricade. And that's when you saw on the vi- um, videos out there, all the cars just like flowed over. The barricade. So that was their attempts because um, that was their attempts to stop the tsunami from creating too much damage. But you know, it still happened anyway. So um, yeah, it's pretty sad. It's pretty scary. But um, yeah, in the um, in the video, uh, there was a lot of stuff that um, I noticed. You know, the people were dressed in protective garments, wearing masks, and every tr- and everything, trying to get people to um, evacuate to the hill and. Um, uh, we'll have Alora talk about that um, during the next show. Um, they're trying to get um, her dad and her team to drive up towards the hill. So that's where everyone was going to pretty much get to the highest level that they can as the water started um, filling up. But um, they're pretty much just still like right there, able to videotape everything that was happening. So it wasn't even really that high up. But, um, yeah, uh, the waves are pretty much destroying the houses. And, um, you know, the, the sirens were... Um, wailing and there there was mist everywhere and cars um were leaving um everywhere being washed away so um yeah uh, definitely go and check out that footage um if you can that's on um alora's blog site and um also she also wanted just to point out um if uh there are other um types of relief that's going out there um besides the red cross so uh if you were thinking of contributing to um helping with uh you know, helping um, Aid Japan um, with any donations that you that you have. Um, you can also check out the website www.otsuchi.org. That's O-T-S-U-C-H-I dot O-R-G. And um, Otsuchi is a place in Japan that was hit, um, one of them that was hit the most critically. And um, you could read more about that on Alora's blog page as well. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much um, everything that's happening with um with Japan right now, as far as um, as far as we know, um, but yeah, eleven thousand people, you guys. That's crazy. That's like that's that's a lot. That's the, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know it's kind of like well, duh, Lauren, but no, that's like that's oh, it's just sad. But um, yeah, also uh, if you just read on Alora's um, blog page, you could also find out a lot more about um, her being able to reunite with her dad, especially after something like that happened. Um, he was pretty much in the hub of. Um, all of that activity going on and with the tsunami around um, in Japan. So uh, it's a really great story um, about how they got home. So, uh, yeah, we'll definitely go into that, um, most likely during the next show. 
So if you have any other questions uh, uh, regarding um, the tsunami in Japan, like I said, again, do your research. Um, definitely check it out. Uh, there are a lot of other um, organizations that are collecting relief um, from uh, for Japan and also here locally here in Orange County. Um that could be of interest to you. So uh, definitely keep keep the word out there too. Uh, don't stop talking about it. Um, you know, like uh, I feel like I always get worried that you know when people kind of advocate for uh, issues, kind of like you know natural disasters. A lot of times, you know, it can kind of die off. But you know, this is this really sets Japan back like a lot, and they have to work on a lot of infrastructure and you know just just getting families back together again. And you know, it's it's a mess, and, and it definitely takes a long time. To fix and um, don't let it die down. You know, um, with any issue that you're um, passionate about, um, they never really ever die. Um, even if you hosted like one event to raise all this money, it definitely helps. But you know, you need to have you need to keep that cause sustain um, the pre- cause prevent you know the prevention of it um, sustainable and definitely keep um, advocating for it. You know, uh, keep the convert and the best way to do that is you know, to keep the conversations going. And I know as activists, it could be a lot of work sometimes, you know, trying to come up with events or fundraisers or what have you. Um, those are all really good. But the most important thing, I think, is to just keep that conversation going. Don't stop, you know, forgetting about what happened or what, or don't stop keeping tabs on what's actually happening and with certain issues or with um, certain countries like the tsunami um, in Japan. Uh, you know, don't stop talking about it because uh, things like that do die down and then you kind of just, like, forget. But, um, yeah, definitely, um, my heart goes out to um, all the, pretty much all the victims from the tsunami and from the earthquake and um, also to any of the families out there who have um, lost some relatives. Um, yeah, uh, uh, definitely uh, pay tribute, um, guys, if you can. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to end the show there. Um uh, yeah, so uh, thanks a lot, Alora, if you're listening online for coming on for the interview. Um, we'll definitely try to get you back on. So it's cool. It's like a two-part thing. But, uh, yeah, we're able to highlight um, your work with animal activism and with, uh, saving the dolphins or uh, trying to get more awareness about what's going on um, in Japan with that. So, uh, yeah, and also a fellow uh, Radio Flag member uh, who's also a uh, I guess, affiliated with KUCI now, um, because of Radio Flag, she also wanted to point out, um, don't forget that also a lot of um, animals and, um, yeah, a lot of animals and a lot of um, animals in the ocean and on land were also affected by the tsunami. So um, they're definitely trying to find homes for these pets. So um, I will upload, no, I will put um, any information regarding that on um, my show's website, that is um, activismforamateurs.kuci.org, and you could read up um, more about uh, what's going on with the animals um, in Japan as well. So, um, yeah, that's that's all for now. Um, we're going to sign off. So um, that's me, Lauren, your host for Activism for Amateurs, and uh, stay tuned. Up next is Evan Simon with The Docket, and he should be coming um, to you um, very shortly. So, Yeah, thanks a lot for sharing your morning with me, and I hope you have a really awesome day, and don't stop advocating for those issues, activists. Uh, Keep it coming. So, yeah, Um, and this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Peace.